All right, Thanksgiving meal is coming up. They say some 90%, 91% of the country will be participating in it. Uh, what's your worst Thanksgiving dish? You know, the one that you just can't stand. If it were up to you, you would outlaw it on every single table. It'd be good if it just never popped up again. You know, they've taken surveys on such things. According to uh, Better Homes and Gardens, they uh, sensed or they asked a number of folks, and we, it turns out that 12% of us could absolutely do without salad or stuffing. I know, right? 21% of us said no thank you to sweet potato casserole. 24%, almost a quarter of the population, says absolutely no to cranberry sauce. Another uh, 25% said uh, no thank you to the green bean casserole, you know, uh, where there is absolutely no health value at, in it at all. A can of cream of mushroom soup and those uh, beans that are soaked in, in ham or bacon and... <clears throat> delicious. Little French fried onions on top. Oh, so good. And then 27% said they can't stand candied yams. So I wonder, sweet potato casserole, candied yams. In our country, yams and sweet potatoes are mostly the same thing. There are actually differences, but we won't take time to go into that. But that means 48% of people don't like sweet potatoes? Oh my gosh. Well, we really didn't come here to talk about Thanksgiving dishes we didn't like, but it does set up the question, are there sermons, sermon topics that you go, well, we could absolutely no longer need to talk about that anymore. You know, when we put together a set of sermons for a year, it's like putting a meal together. We have 52 Sundays. We think through what, what should we be covering and what do we want to include. We talk about Jesus, and God the Father, God the Spirit. We talk about things like salvation and forgiveness and grace and, and relationships and mission. And we try to cover a whole bunch of things. Are there certain topics where you go, ah, I just prefer us never to talk about that again? Well, today is the stewardship sermon. <laughs> yeah. In fact, maybe you've already discussed it in your household. Maybe you've already come to this personal conclusion that the next time the pastor begins to, to talk about money, you, you, you have it set up. Uh, if you're here with more than one person, that, that you'll, you'll give the, the high sign to the other. One person will get up and, and pretend like they have to go to the bathroom. And, and, and the other one gives them a good two or three minutes and then goes, you know, and, and then kind of moves on their way out too. I better check on them. Uh, there will be no bathroom ditching today. Just want to make sure, Okay. Now, I've really made you feel awkward. Like, what if you really have to use the facilities, right? It's okay. It's okay. What we will be talking about today, I think, is actually, hopefully, we'll find incredibly freeing. Not something to avoid, avoid but something to run toward and embrace. Our text is uh, from 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter that we call 2 Corinthians, uh, a letter to the Corinthian church. And it's um, from chapter 9, in verses 6 through 15. With your Bibles open or making use of one of our Bibles, we'll also put it on the screen. Let's receive the Word of God this morning. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he or she has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. May God bless the reading of this passage, and may God work in our uh, room and in our hearts as well. All right, let's follow up with this question then. What singularly defines you? What singularly defines you? that thing which if it were taken away, you, you would simply be undone. You know, for some of us, we might uh, respond to that question with, well, it's my career. If you take my career away, uh, I'm so heavily invested in it. I, my identity is wrapped up in my career. If you take that away, I think I might be undone. Other of us may say that, you know, it's my abilities. If you, to, if you were to take my uh, my athleticism, or if you were to take away my intelligence, or, or my sense of humor, or whatever it is, if you were to take away my abilities, I don't know who I would be. Still others may say our accomplishments, or if you were to take my fun away, if you were to take my family away, my friends away. The Bible offers its own answer to this question, uh, an answer that, that God would, would want us all to be able to grow into, all of us be able to, to grab hold of and, and make our own, that it would be our realization through His grace. And the Bible's answer is this, the thing that would undo us if taken away, the thing that singularly defines us would be God's love for us, God's love for you. What Paul does in our text is he takes God's love for you and he sets it as the foundation for giving. Let's take a look at how he does that. All right, so in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually first begins to talk about giving in chapter 8. And then at the beginning of chapter 9, he has these words for the Corinthians. He goes, listen, I'm on my way to you. I'm coming toward you even now. And I've got this entourage. I've got some folks with me. I've told them about the gift you're going to give. And even in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul, Paul's been writing and saying, you know, set aside some money 
uh, on a re regular basis so that you might be able to be really intentional about your giving. Uh, and the, the opportunity to give to the, to the Jerusalem Christians who are experiencing some hardship. So, so be intentional about this. So at the beginning of chapter 9, Paul's going, I'm coming and I've got these guests and it'll be really awkward <laughs> if you're not ready to give. So I'm sending Titus ahead just to uh, uh, re uh, help you remember the commitment you had. And then we get into our passage. And Paul in our passage gives the theology behind the giving. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what he teaches and take from that, well, what does that mean for us today? And the first thing that it would mean for us today is that we would want to then adopt an abundance mindset, that we would adopt an abundance mindset. We read in verse 6 of chapter 9, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul's helping the Corinthians to, to make sure that they have this mindset of abundance and not scarcity, to think big, uh, to, to open up what the possibilities might be. I remember when we were taking trips as a family, uh, when our, our sons were younger, and we'd be traveling across the country, we went to a lot of national parks, and we'd be traveling across the country, and I'd look in the rearview mirror just to see how the boys were doing in the back of the van. And they would have their nose in a book, or, or they'd be like focused on their Game Boy and be playing away. And I'd look up, and there'd be this huge, beautiful landscape all around the van. And I'd, I, we'd have to call each other's attention to, to look up. Don't just be so focused on the thing right in front of you. And sometimes we can, as givers, we can focus on just uh, the amount of seed we might have. The, the amount of resources we feel that we have. And we go, I don't know how much I can risk of this in, in, in planting. And there's this, this proverb that, that Paul is using. This, that, you know, if you sow just a little bit, you're going to only get a little bit in return. But if you sow big... If you sow a lot of seed in the field, if you think the whole field and not just some little piece of it, the abundance will be matching. You know, sometimes we can approach this passage in our culture as though we're the owner of the field, like it's actually our seed that we're sowing. But there's this understanding in Scripture, fundamental, that when we talk about seed in a field and harvest, that the seed belongs to God, that the field belongs to God, that the harvest is God. God's the one who brings the rain. God's the one who brings the sun. And so for us, in God's economy, it's all about abundance all the time. God abundantly provides and so when we think about investing, when we think about giving out, when we think about taking what God has given us and, and spreading it in this world, we want to come at it from not a position of scarcity, but a position of God's abundance. In other words, we're called to adopt an abundance mindset. The second thing I think we can take from this passage is that there's this calling to be joyfully single-minded. To be joyfully single-minded. In verse 7, we read this. Each one must give as he or she has decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. 
when I was in high school and I played uh, soccer uh, on our school team, we were horrible, absolutely just rubbish on the pitch. We were so bad. And, and we would come up against some other teams, and even as we took the field, we could just sense that um, that's a really good team. <laughs> they had such a confidence to them. We, we would question our own skills. We'd question the skills of other players on, on our team. We'd question the strategy that our coach had put together. And yet that other team had a confidence that when they showed up, not the kind of confidence that would make them want to not try, but from the get-go, they would chase after it. There was a single-mindedness, a, a focus, an understanding of what that game was all about in that moment. There's something in the life of a Christian that the Bible would encourage us to have so clear in ourselves that it would give us this joyful confidence in all of life, that joy would be the defining response we would have to, to life all around us. We know that Paul writes, uh, when he wrote to the Philippians, he said, uh, rejoice always. Again, I'll say it rejoice. He also had said, I, I rejoice in my sufferings. It's not that Paul enjoyed sufferings, but he rejoices in the midst of them. In First Peter we read, in our salvation, there's a longer description of what our salvation is, but in our salvation you, you rejoice or we rejoice, though grieved by trials. Do you get that? The Bible's perspective is even if when life is hard, we have reason to have joy. James puts it this way, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That we're so loved by God, that, that God has done things for us and has moved in our lives, that we can respond to that with this single-mindedness, this, this decision inside our head of, listen, my cup is more than half full. It's overflowing because of God's love, even in the midst of the hardest times. There's something foundational to the Christian faith that frees us up then to be different in this world. Have you ever uh, read a tragic story? Maybe it's a fictional one and you're reading this book that has, has a tragedy wrapped into the storyline. Or may, maybe you're, you're paying attention to your news feed and, and you're aware of this tragic event that's happened. And even as we read it, we can empathize with what's going on. We, we can connect emotionally with it, but there's a sense that we have of, that's not me. We can read about it and we can be moved by it, but th that's not me. And for us, as followers of Christ, or for you, if you're a Christian, that, that you can know that as tragedies play out, there is a story. As trials play out, as, as suffering plays out, there's a story that goes much deeper than that. It's a story of God's love for you, his grace-filled love for you, his promise to always be with you, his promise to send his son to come back and to make all things new and to spend all of eternity with you. Therefore, we can be joyfully single-minded. Paul essentially says, so Corinthians, think and be joyful about your giving. In God's economy, giving is about joy. Therefore, we can be joyfully single-minded. The third thing we pick up from this, this, this encouragement we can establish for ourselves, is that we would establish our giving in God's abundance toward you. Establish 
our giving and God's abundance toward us. There are some common alternatives that we typically establish our giving in. Some of the common alternatives are this. We might establish our giving in the size of our debt. And I get it. It, it seems to make sense. You know, that if, if we have school loans, we've got a mortgage, maybe we have a couple loans on our cars, and, and we know we have more expenses coming up, and, and we have this debt, maybe we have some credit card debt, and we, we go, gosh, I, I just don't think I, I, I can give at all. And we let the, the debt become the determining uh, um, factor in our giving. And there may be wisdom to pay attention to debt in our lives, absolutely. Maybe if it's not our debt, we might, we might say the, the size of our bank account. I'm going to let the size of my bank account uh, be the determining factor. You know, that, that I feel like I've got this much or maybe I've got this much. And, and if I feel that it's scarce, then I may not give as much. If I feel that my bank account's a little bit more uh, um, uh, flush this, this month or this year, maybe I might give a little bit more. Sometimes we set the foundation of our giving in the size of our bills. Well, I've got to pay uh, electricity, and I, I've got to pay my cable bill, and I, I, I've got this upcoming bill, and, and maybe after that, we think after I've paid all my other bills, that maybe I can think about what I might give. Sometimes we even will, will, will base our giving on on our hobbies. Like, 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 like was, I, was I able to do what I wanted to do? I love playing golf. Oh gosh, I love traveling. I, I love doing these things. And, and, and if I can just pay all those things off, then I'll look and see what's still available to give to others. But God has a different approach. What Paul writes to the Corinthians, we find this in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10. In, in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Did you get the sense of the alls there? It begins with God saying, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. It's not just talking about giving you money. That's, it's not just a, a financial thing. God gives you his unmerited favor. God offers his unmerited favor to all those who would, who would say yes to Jesus Christ. God just pours that out on people. All grace. Is it able to make all grace abound to you? So that having all sufficiency, this is an interesting word. It's a word that, in, uh, that means contentment, that, that, that the sense of being uh, sufficient within, not because of ourselves, and not because we don't have opportunity to be connected with other people, but that our very need has been taken care of, that there's a contentment, that we're so full of God's grace that we're no longer contingent on being filled by the things around us. Oh, we can enjoy those things, but we're so filled with God's grace that we're no longer contingent, dependent on the other things. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then in verse 9, we read, as it is written, uh, and this is where he quotes from Psalm 112. And in Psalm 112, verse 9, it says, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, Paul would have known this, and may, maybe some in this room probably know this too, but a lot of us probably don't. 
Psalm 112 is connected to Psalm 111. And in Psalm 111, it's a a psalm about who God is and how God operates towards us. And then Psalm 112 is about the person who fears the Lord and acts in response to what God has done. So when we look at Psalm 111, verse 9, here's what we read. So this is Psalm 111, verse 9. He, the Lord, sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. God moves first. God has given his love. God has abundantly provided. So when we get to Psalm 112, verse 9, that's when we see the person who fears the Lord, the person who who loves the Lord, who, who is in awe of the Lord, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Their abundance, that person's abundance, flows out of God's abundance. And then in verse 10, we read this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We would be misguided if we said that, oh, okay, so God's going to give me more money so I can get more money else <laughs> elsewhere. God's provision to us, it may have financial impact, it may not, but God's provision to us in, in the sense of his, his closeness and our spiritual growth and in the grace and its effect on our lives will continue to increase. And that the harvest of our, of our righteousness, that's a great line. Remember, we've talked about that over the past few weeks. We've talked about how the righteousness for the Christian isn't their own. It's not like the, that great job, you did the right things, you're now righteous. But that God, through Jesus' death, he takes the righteousness of Jesus and he puts it on you. He applies it to your account. And so we're operating out of the righteousness God has already provided and the harvest of that. The harvest of it, the impact of it, the the going forward of it uh, will increase. God will multiply it. In other words, in God's economy, our giving flows from his abundance. In God's economy, our giving flows from his abundance. And therefore, we can establish our giving in God's abundance toward us. Next, we find that we're called to focus on the true harvest the true harvest, which is many thanksgivings and glories to God. There are misguided targets that come up in the church all the time. One of the misguided targets for our giving happens uh, often to be a number. Like we focus on, well, I, I, I had a $10 bill and a $20 bill, and I gave the $20 bill. <laughs> yes. We focus on the number. We've got, we're impressed by our own giving of that $20 bill and not the $10 bill. Or we give the, the $1 and not the $0.50. Cents. Or, or we give the $200,000 and not the $20,000. We get focused on a number. Sometimes as a church we do this. Oh, we run a campaign. We put a number out there. We make this giant thermometer. And we keep track of it. And we all shoot for that certain number. I've been a part of it. And we focus on a number. In addition to being misguided about focusing on a number, sometimes we focus on a nameplate. I'm going to give so much that you're going to want to make sure that you put a plate up on it that acknowledges my gift because it's substantial. 
We focus on a number. We can focus on a nameplate. Sometimes we focus on a negotiation. That when we think about giving, we approach giving from a position of, of, of negotiating it. Sometimes we negotiate with God. Okay, God, I, I, I know that in the Old Testament you said a tithe, and well, I don't know if that really works with my plan or my budget. So tell you what, I'm going to, this year, why don't I kind of give this, and, and how does that work for you? Is, are we all okay on this? And we kind of negotiate. Because if it's not a go, negotiating with God, sometimes we'll negotiate with the church. I'll give to the church as long as I, I like your agenda. If there's something you do that I don't agree with, and then I'm going to withhold my giving. And so, so why don't you continue to do the things the way I would like you to do them? And we negotiate our giving. Sometimes if it's not with God or with the church, sometimes it's with our taxes. You know, this really isn't a good year to give. I, uh, my tax position is such, and my, my stocks and my, my investments are such, it just, I, it's not a good year to give. I, I might consider giving next year. We make a negotiation. Have you noticed something in those three things? When we focus on a number, a nameplate, or a negotiation, in our economy, it's all about our power. Our power. In God's economy, we understand his power. And we remain always dependent and absolutely dependent upon him. Listen to these words from verses 11 through 13. You will be enriched in every way. In other words, God's abundance poured into you. You will be enriched in every way to be generous. Let's hit the pause button here with this word generous. The ESV, the NIV, and the NRSV, and if you're new to Christianity, those are modern-day popular translations of the Bible. All three of those popular translations, they use the word generous here. But the word in the original language is not a word that is used for generosity. It's a word that's used for single-mindedness. Um, and, and I went beyond just a commentary. I went back and used some linguistic resources that I have as well. And, and it, it, it affirms that this is a word that's used for single-mindedness. That we wouldn't be double-minded about our giving. You will be enriched in every way to be single-minded that out of God's abundance, out of God's provision, that we would be focused on being able to give. way to be single-minded in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, which it does, that's good, but that's a penultimate provision. That, that's good and it's great, but it's not the greatest thing. But is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity or the single-mindedness of your contribution for them and all others. That we would take from God and be so focused in that relationship that we'd be integrated into it and be single-minded in our giving. Our giving multiplies others' thanksgiving Our giving results in God being glorified by others. In God's economy, the payoff of giving is God-focused praise. And so we would set it for ourselves. Focus on the true harvest. Many thanksgiving and glories to God. The last thing we'll just mention is that 
we could be encouraged by this text to rejoice in our grace-based unity, that we can rejoice in our grace-based unity. In God's economy, the currency is grace. Grace from God and grace toward one another. In verse 14, we read the words about the response that the that the uh, Christians in Jerusalem would have. Verse 14 says, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. There's a unity that comes together as we give. The situation here is one community giving to another community. We're taking the lessons we can learn and saying that can, uh, the lessons we can apply uh, to many different situations. We can rejoice in our grace-based unity. In God's economy, we are one. And we share bountifully out of God's abundance with each other. So we can say this. When it comes to giving in God's economy, our single-minded, joyful, abundantly empowered by God, choice to give results in many thanksgivings to God. When it comes to giving in God's economy, our single-minded, joyful, abundantly empowered by God, choice to give results in many thanksgiving to, thanksgivings to God. Um, I've shared this before, and this is just as a data point. I am, uh, I am not a standard on this at all, but just in my own journey of trying to live this out, to live from the perspective of God's abundance, here's where I am today. <clears throat> and I've shared this before, and, um, it, uh, but again, just as a, as a reference point. Um, so v- Vicki and I, we've struggled with give, living by our economy compared to God's economy. And at times in the past, we have focused more on numbers and more on negotiation, and, and, and our discussions have, have been around those very human-focused things. And, and over the course of our lives together, we have worked more and more at trying to understand it from God's economy. And so uh, we look at the Old Testament, we go, see that God had set aside a, a, a tenth and giving way beyond a tenth, but that was a, a starting point. So we've set it up for us that, that um, we give a tenth to the church. So we do a, bef- a before tax giving to the church of a tenth of our income. Um, and I know people that give not just a tenth of their income, before tax income. I know people who, who give uh, a tenth also of their, of their benefits package. And they're thinking, again, it's not just about the number. It's about responding to God's abundance. And then, and then what Vicky and I do is we think about, gosh, what other ministries, besides the local church, what are other ministries are representing the justice and the grace and the righteousness of God in this world where God could re- receive thanksgiving um, in response? And so we'll give to some other a- agencies beyond that as well. And, and that's just a data point. And, and you add your data point to that, and we, we begin to see what does it mean? What does it mean when God frees us up through his abundance to give in this world? I asked at the beginning of our conversation, what's the single thing that defines you? God wants it to be him. God wants it to be his love for you. The single thing that defines you, that you would be passionate. You're so defined by God that you would be passionate about God receiving thanksgiving. You know, this desire of God's is not just a wishful want on his part. He said stuff in Scripture like, have no other gods before me. He said, you can't worship both God and money. Jesus taught, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no no one comes to the Father but through me. There's such a focus 
in the Bible on us responding to God's provision of grace to us. That we'd be passionate about him. That he would be our, de- our defining identity. Saying yes to God is to say yes to God's abundant love. To say yes to God's abundant love and grace and salvation and promised future. It is from this abon- abundance that God's economy flourishes. It's from this abundance that God wishes us to decide in our hearts what we will give. And then give with joy because our God loves a cheerful giver. When we give in God's name, God receives many more thanksgiving. When we give in God's economy, the best thanksgiving are the ones that are given to God. That's what we celebrate. That's what we cheer. Let's pray together. Father, um, you know how we have been trapped within our own economies for far too long. Our own economy of power, our own economy of wealth, our own economy of uh, self-identity. Would you free us from that? Would you catch us up and clear our minds and our hearts that we would be single-minded about the abundance that we have from you? That your gift of love, your gift of relationship, your gift of forgiveness and salvation and future and promise, that those would be the very things that define us. And that, God, you would free us from the, the, the tyranny of our own, uh, our own economies, that we would then live out of abundance for your glory in this world. Whatever the numbers might be, that, God, you would be honored and glorified and people would give you thanks because of your abundance flowing through us. We give you praise. Thanks so much for Jesus. In his name, amen.